بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مذل له ومن يذلله فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا أما بعد ما جرب الزنسيس السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته so I want to start off tonight's discussion by talking about how amazing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. You know, when you look at the stories of the prophets in the Quran, you can't help but be amazed how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took care of the prophets. And I want to share a couple of examples with you. The first example being of Ibrahim alayhi salam. So Ibrahim alayhi salam, he's captured by his people and he's thrown into a fire. And you would think, you know, someone's thrown into a fire, that's it, khalas, it's over for them. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He tells the fire to be cool and peaceful for Ibrahim alayhi salam. And it's amazing that normally anyone touches a fire and that's it, you know, they, they, they start screaming and shouting. But Ibrahim alayhi salam for him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the fire cold and peaceful. I want you to think about Yunus alayhi salam. Yunus alayhi salam is devoured whole by a whale and he's at the bottom of the ocean where no one can hear him at all. None of the creation can hear him. No one can do anything for him. He is stuck. He calls out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes the whale to spit Yunus alayhi salam out unharmed and untouched. I want you to think about Musa alayhi salam. Where Musa alayhi salam, he has the Red Sea in front of him. He has the army of Fir'aun behind him. And the people are like, what's going to happen at this time? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he splits the sea for them. And Musa alayhi salam and his people walk through. And that same sea that allowed Musa salam and his people to go through ends up drowning and killing the army of Fir'aun. I want you to think about Yusuf salam and his story on how he's thrown into a, well, uh, into a well after his brothers plotted against him. Then he's taken out of a well and sold into slavery. When he's sold into slavery, he's falsely accused and thrown into prison. In prison, the people that he's with, they get out of prison and they forget about him for a long time. Then eventually he's taken out of prison and he interprets the dream for a king and now he's made someone who's trustworthy and strong and he becomes the finance minister of that land. Eventually he's reunited with his brothers and reunited with his father and they live like a happy you know, ending together. Then you look at Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, a man that you know his father died at six months old, his mother died at six years old, and he's raised without any parents. He's raised without any you know tribal backing later on. And eventually he goes on to be one of the most powerful human beings we've ever known. Someone that's not able to read and write, but ended up being the most knowledgeable person that was ever created, subhanAllah. Like how does this happen other than by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, other than by the qudr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is how amazing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. And this ties in directly to our discussion tonight, which is about the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is about the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Munib, can you recite the verse for us insha'Allah? Number 10. Number 10, yeah. <coughs> قال الناظم رحمنا الله إياه وقد ينكر الجهمي أيضا يمينه وكلتا يديه بالفواطل تنفحه Stop and just do the translation inshallah And certainly a jahmi will deny his right hand as well while both of his hands are giving out all kinds of bounties Jazakallah khair 
Okay, so tonight's discussion is about the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you'll notice that the poet, he starts off by saying that the Jahmiyyah, they denied the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They denied the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as, our, as is our methodology, we'll break down what the different groups did and why, what, uh, why they did it exactly. So starting off with Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, they obviously affirm the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as something that is real, as something that is real. And just to reaffirm the principle that we stand by, Al-Ithbatu bila tamthil wa tanzihu bila ta'til. That we affirm the sifat, the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without likening them to His creation. So we affirm the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without likening them to His creation. And likewise, we exalt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without negating His attributes. We exalt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without negating His attributes. And this is the general methodology of Ahlul Sunnah when it comes to all of the attributes. The general methodology of Ahlul Sunnah when it comes to all of the attributes. Then we move on to group number two, the Mu'tazila and the Jahmiyyah. The Mu'tazila and the Jahmiyyah, they completely denied the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa Altogether. And tonight I want to give you a glimpse as to the history of Jahm ibn Safwan. Jahm ibn Safwan was the head of the Jahmiyyah. And what he ended up doing, obviously he was uh, affected by Greek philosophy. And he started coming to the Muslim community and he didn't start off by telling them, look, we can't affirm the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because at that time, the Muslim community was very knowledgeable. They were very affiliated with the Quran, very affiliated with the Sunnah. And they knew that all of these attributes are mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah. So how can we negate something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning himself? And you'll notice that Jahm ibn Safwan used a tactic that subhanAllah, you know, shaitan originated. He didn't come directly attacking them, but he came from a different angle. And he started asking the people, does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have a body? Does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have a direction? Is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created? And these sort of questions, these are the questions he sort of came with. And when he started developing a following, and people seemed, uh, people, uh, you know, uh, he, he made the people presume that his intentions were pure, that's when he came out with his real deviation. So he said, we don't affirm uh, a direction for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we don't affirm a body for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if we were to affirm these attributes of Allah, like the face and the hands, then we would say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a body, because how can these things exist without a body? And that is how Jahm ibn Safwan started his movement of the Jahmiyyah. Not directly telling the people that the Sifat do not exist, but getting the people to believe that he had pure intentions, and then misguiding them, and then misguiding them, right? And this is what Shaitan exactly does. If you look in Surah Al-Hashr, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tells us, كَمَثِلِ الشَّيْطَانِ إِذْ قَالَ لِلْإِنسَانِ أُكْفُرْ فَلَمَّا كَفَرَ قَالْ إِنِّي بَرِئُ مِنْكْ إِنِّي أَخَافُ اللَّهَ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ So the example of Shaitan in Surah Al-Hashr that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives is that he will tell mankind, commit kufr with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Commit kufr with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when mankind commits kufr, he tells mankind, innibari umink, I'm free from you because I fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what Jahm ibn Safwan did. He made the intentions seem pure to the people, and then from a different angle, he misguided the people. And this is why it's very, very important that when you understand the Quran and the Sunnah, when you, someone is speaking about terminology that you're not familiar with, you always ask, what is your intention behind this? What do you mean by this? So these sort of questions, you know, does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have a body? Does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have a direction? These questions are not posed by the Quran and the Sunnah. And rather than attempting to answer these questions, one should, you know, just stop at that point and say, look, I will not answer this question because this question is not appropriate. This question is not appropriate. So that is how Jahm ibn Safwan and, you know, the Mu'tazila movement thereafter, you know, came out to deny the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we move on to the third group. And the third group is the Ashairah. The third group is the Ashairah. 
as we mentioned before, the Ash'ara didn't have a set methodology when it came to the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They affirmed some of the attributes, they denied some of the attributes. And as you look at particular heads of the Ash'ari movement, you will notice that some of them took different methodologies when it came, once it came to denying the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we mentioned that they took two methodologies. So they denied the attributes of Allah and the first methodology they took was Tafwid. Tafwid al-Ma'na. They said, we do not know what this word means and we leave its meaning up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions hand in the Quran, mentions yad in the Quran, we don't know what this hand means. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions eyes in the Quran, we don't know what these eyes mean, right? This is what they call tafwid. Now I was reading up recently, preparing for this halaqa, and I was looking at what Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah, uh, you know, mentions about tafwid. And he mentions something very interesting. He refers to the people of tafwid as ahlul tajheel. People who make the accusation of ignorance. Ahlul Tajheel, the people who make the accusation of ignorance. Why are they called Ahlul Tajheel? Because in their position of making tafwid al-ma'na, of you know, referring the meaning only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they're saying that the Prophet wasallam and the companions were ignorant of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed. So they're accusing the Prophet wasallam and the companions عنهم, of ignorance. And this is what tafwid in its essence is. If you claim that we do not know what this meaning, what a certain word means in the Quran, then you're affirming ignorance for the Prophet and for the companions. Because this was revealed in their language, and the Prophet came to explain the Quran. And if the one that came to explain the Quran does not know the meaning, then who is going to know the meaning, right? So that is the accusation of ignorance against the Prophet and the companions. Then the second movement from the Ash'ara, they are referred to ta'wil. And ta'wil is giving a meaning that has no precedence to it, or a meaning that is not in its right, in its right place. A meaning that is not in its right place. And in ta'wil, they affirmed two different meanings for the yad of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, two different meanings for the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first meaning was qudra, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's capability. So they said when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions yad in the Quran for himself, this is referring to the capability of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and is not a real hand. A second group of them, they said, no, the meaning of yad in the Quran for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is his ni'mah, are the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you'll notice that, you know, there's no uniformity amongst them over here. That one group said qudra, another one group said ni'mah. And as you'll come to see when we talk about the proofs, that it's not possible to affirm both of them, right? You cannot say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had two qudras or that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had two ni'mas because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers His hands in a dual form and in a plural form, right? So when you'll see, notice particularly in the verse of Adam alayhi salam when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells Iblis, Oh Iblis, what is it that prevented you from prostrating to that which I created with my two hands? How can you say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to two capabilities over here or two blessings uh, over here? So with that, let us jump into the proofs for affirming the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The proofs for affirming the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the first proof is in uh, Surah Sad, Surah number 38, verse 75. Surah Sad, verse, Surah number 38, verse 75. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, قَالَ يَا إِبْلِيسُ مَا مَنَعَكَ أَن تَسْجُدَ لِمَا خَلَقْتُ أَسْتَكْبَرْتَ أَمْ كُنْتَ مِنَ الْعَالِينَ That oh, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Oh Iblis, what prevented you from prostrating to that which I created with my hands? Were you arrogant or were you already amongst the haughty people? Were you already amongst the haughty people? So in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala affirms for himself two hands. مَا خَلَقْتُ this is coming in its dual form. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is affirming two hands for himself over here. He's affirming two hands for himself over here. 
Now, I want to, uh, to cause a bit of confusion amongst you guys tonight, inshallah, and we'll see how you guys respond to this. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He affirms for Himself two hands. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala affirms for Himself two hands. You guys have the verse, Surah Sad, verse 75. And then I want to share with you a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Actually, two hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This is, first hadith is in Sahih Muslim, 2788. 2788. Okay, Sahih Muslim, 2788. And in this hadith, the Prophet sallallahu Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the exalted and glorious, will fold the heavens on the day of judgment, and then he would place them on his right hand and say, I am the Lord, where are the haughty and where are the proud today? He will fold the earth, placing it in his left hand and say, I am the Lord, where are the haughty and where are the proud today? Okay, so in this hadith, clearly the Prophet sallallahu says, right hand and left hand. Okay, everyone picked up on that? Everyone with me so far? Fantastic. Let's move on to the second hadith, which is also in Sahih Muslim, 1827. Also in Sahih Muslim, uh, 1827. In this hadith, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he says, "Inna al-muqsatina inda Allahi ala al-manabir min nurin an yamin al-rahmani azza wa jal, wa kilta yadehi yaminun al-ladina yadiluna fi hukmihim wa ahlihim wa ma walu." So the Prophet ﷺ, he says, Behold, the dispensers of justice will be seated on pulpits of light beside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, on the right side of the most merciful, the exalted and glorious. And both of his hands are right. And both of his hands are right. The dispensers of justice, those who do justice in their rules, in matters relating to their families, and all those who are under authority of them. And all those who are under authority of them. So here the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he says wakilta yadayhi yameen and both of the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are right. So now I will get you a bottle of aitar if you can reconcile these two hadith for me. Go ahead. Means that what the hands of Allah will execute will be right rather than direction right. You know what I mean? Like correct. Like correct in the correct sense rather than in the directional sense. What does that mean? <laughs> they'll do right things. Sorry? So, yeah, so they'll do, they'll, they'll do the right thing rather than... Okay, Yameen particularly refers to direction. It doesn't refer to Sahih or Salim or Salim, which means like the correct or proper thing. So Yameen refers to direction clearly. But that was a good attempt though, not bad. Anyone else want to give it a shot? Both hadith are in Sahih Muslim. Come on man, someone give it a shot. You're, you're getting a free bottle of Etter. This is a good bottle of Etter as well. It's not a cheap bottle of Etter. It's not one of like the free ones. This is actually a nice one. Go ahead. If it's in the directional sense, then it's Allah. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> <laughs> so it's in the directional sense, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He can, he, can he can do whatever He wants. Okay, that again is a, is a good attempt, but it's not the correct answer. It's not the correct answer. So it mentions the right hand of Allah and the left hand of Allah, that the heavens will be in the right hand and the earth will be in the left hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Muni man, come on, help the people out. No idea? Allah knows best. 
خير going once you're doing tafweed astaghfirullah going once going twice khisal come on you seem curious bro no i can see you flexing those muscles bro come on going twice three times sold khalas so let me explain what's happening over here and the reason why i bring this up is because you know the ashaira and the people who deny the sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they're going to bring up this shubha, they're going to bring up this doubt, and they're like, your aqidah is all messed up. You know, how can you confirm two right hands and you know one right hand and one left hand? Are you saying Allah has three hands? You know, what are you doing with your aqidah? That is the type of, of argument that they will come with. And it's very important to know, you know, a response to these arguments. So number one, the first hadith in Sahih Muslim, the first hadith in Sahih Muslim, where it mentions the yameen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the shimal of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This hadith actually comes with multiple wordings. This hadith actually comes with multiple wordings. And some of the scholars of the past, especially Imam al-Daruqutni and those who followed him, they said that the word shimal is not mahfuz. It is not the correct wording of the hadith. And that is why Imam Muslim, which is what I hid from you, actually brought another version of the hadith where he says, Yad, uh, the ukhra, the al-ukhra, the other hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he doesn't use, the, the Prophet didn't use the word shimal, but he said the word ukhra, meaning the other hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's one way the scholars interpreted it, that you know the, the, the wording of shimal is not mahfuz, it is not the correct wording, and that is why Imam Muslim brought the other wording which says, al-ukhra. The second inter interpretation, and Allah knows best, this is the stronger interpretation out of the two. This is the stronger interpretation out of the two. Out of the two. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, He says, Kilta yadayhi yameen, the intention over here is not direction, as what Danish was pointing out. The intention over here was not direction. But what Danish fell short is that the implied meaning isn't of correctness. <coughs> the implied meaning is a linguistic definition of Yameen. Is a linguistic definition of Yameen. And the linguistic definition of Yameen comes from Yuman, which is something which is proficient, something which uh, you know, is blessed, something which is done with ease. Right? That is what Yuman means. Right? So Ayman, the, the name Ayman, it comes from the same meaning. Meaning that something that is blessed is something that is done with ease, something that is done well and proficiently. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's Messenger وسلم, He says that both of the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are Yameen, what He's trying to say is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's hands are not like our hands. And you'll notice yourself when you go to the gym, you know, particularly when you're doing you know, your bicep curls, uh, with your, right, with your like, proficient hand, you'll end up doing like, maybe sometimes even twice the amount as your other hand. Right? So if you go to the gym, you'll notice one hand you're doing like 60 kilograms, the other hand you're doing 40 kilograms, and the other hand is like completely terrible. And you're like, you know, SubhanAllah, what is wrong with this hand? That's just the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us, that one hand is stronger than the other. One hand is stronger than the other. Now, one may argue, you know what, how about if someone is ambidextrous, that they use both hands proficiently. Even if someone uses both hands proficiently, there will still be a dominant hand. There will still be a dominant hand. So the Prophet ﷺ is saying over here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no deficiency in him and both of his hands execute perfectly both of his hands execute perfectly and that is the meaning of the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that is the meaning of the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so now going back to the verse that we were talking about in surah sad here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he tells iblis oh iblis what is it that prevented you from bowing down to adam the one that i created with my two hands and this is of immense importance over here because not only did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create Adam alayhi salam with his own hands and this is like a great virtue of Adam alayhi salam but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is teaching us something about his power and capability. 
and that is that there is no limit or restriction to the capability of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Adam alayhi salam, he was created out of sand and clay and water. He had no parents. There was no, you know, normal birth like we have. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created him from absolutely nothing. And there is nothing that could have foretold the coming of Adam alayhi salam. And this shows the great power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now while Ahlul Sunnah, they affirm the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a reality, we also affirm the, the power and capability of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam alayhi salam from nothing. Now why is this something that's uh, an important and integral part of our Aqidah? Why is this something that's an integral and important part of our Aqidah? Affirming the capability, unlimited capability and power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like how does this affect you on a personal level? When you think about unlimited power and capability, how does this affect you on a personal level? Go ahead, our brother in the back. In terms of tawakkul and uh, just your, your faith that uh, he's uh, he's capable of everything. So exactly, uh, fantastic. Akhi, what's your name if you don't mind me asking? Urwa. 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 Barakallahu fiqh. So Urwa was saying that this completes our tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because part of our reliance in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is understanding that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is capable of anything and everything. So if whenever mankind is in a predicament and in a difficult situation where they need the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one can never presume and should never presume that you know what, Allah will not help me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot do this for me. But rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can do anything and everything that He pleases. And we see this in the creation of Adam alayhi salam where no one can create anything out of nothing. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the father of all of mankind out of nothing. So if He can create Adam alayhi salam out of nothing, then he can solve all of our problems and fix all of our problems. And this is one of the great you know, effects of affirming the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Of affirming the great hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I want to share a second verse with you. And this is Surah Al-Zumar, verse number 67. Surah Al-Zumar, verse number 67. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, وَمَا قَدْرُ اللَّهَ حَقَّ قَدْرِهِ وَالْأَرْضُ جَمِيعًا قَبْضَتُهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَالسَّمَاوَاتُ مَطْوِيَاتُ بِيَمِينِهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَىٰ أَمَّا يُشْرِكُونَ They have not appraised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with true appraisal, while the earth entirely will be within His grip on the day of resurrection, and the heavens will be folded in His right hand. Exalted is He and high above what they associate with Him. High above what they associate with Him. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about the day of judgment and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will fold and will release the heavens on the earth on that day. And the folding of the heavens and the earth on that day, while Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala affirms you know, His right hand in this verse over here, what this verse is meant to inspire is fear into the hearts of all people. Is fear into the hearts of all people. As we saw in the hadith of the Prophet wasallam, that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala folds and releases the heavens and the earth, He will say, Aynal jabbarun, Aynal mutakabbirun, that where are you know, the, the, the dictators on that day and where are the people who committed injustice on that day? Because on that day Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hold people to account. And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing that His hands are so powerful that they will fold and release the heavens and the earth as if it is nothing. As if it is absolutely nothing. And that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will do. So here in affirming the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this inspires fear into the slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I need to make sure I'm not from the arrogant people. I need to make sure that I'm not from the oppressors. I need to make sure that I'm not a dictator. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hold those people to account on the day of judgment. And those are the people that have the most... Uh, to fear on that day. And those are the people that have the most to fear on that day. And then the third and last verse I want to share with you is in Surah Al-Ma'idah. Surah Al-Ma'idah. 
Surah number 5, verse number 64. Surah number 5, verse number 64. Uh, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودُ يَدُ اللَّهِ مَغْلُولَةِ غُلَّتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَلُعِنُوا بِمَا قَالُوا بَلْ يَدَاهُ مَبْسُوتَتَانِ يُنْفِقُ كَيْفَ يَشَاءُ so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse, he says that the children of Israel, they said the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is chained. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds by saying, chained are their hands and cursed are they for what they say. Rather, both of his hands are extended. He spends however he wills. He spends however he wills. He spends however he wills. Now when you look at this verse, it shows you, you know, early forms of deviation and the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Early forms of deviation and the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we talk about Tawheed, when we talk about the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is divided into three categories. It is divided into three categories. The rububiyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the lordship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala controls life and death. He controls the alternation of the sun and the moon. He controls night and day. He controls the plants growing and dying. This is all part of the rububiyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the lordship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second category of tawheed is the uluhiyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be worshipped. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one that has the exclusive right to be prayed to, to be supplicated to, to be prostrated to, to have tawakkul in, to have patience for, all to have fear of, to have love of. Right? All of these things are exclusive to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they forward under the, the uh, Lordship, the, the uluhiyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the right to be worshipped by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the third category of tawheed is the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fi asma'u sifat, which are the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the perfect names and attributes are exclusive to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. So when you look at this third category of the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you'll notice that the firm, first forms of deviation in the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, while the Christians went towards, you know, the rububiyah of having, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala having a son, and, you know, making him worshipped with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Bani Israel went into the third category, where, you know, some of the tribes from amongst them did affirm a son from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They said, Uzair was the son of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but their bigger crime, was their you know, misattribution of, of the sifat on how they uh, affirmed for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala some of the most disgusting and negative attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you look at the story of Genesis and the story of Adam alayhi salam, they affirmed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgot where Adam alayhi salam was. Right? How can you have a Lord that is forgetful? And then this is like, you know, even the, the crazier one. I mean, how can you, subhanAllah, attribute something like this to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? They said that the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are chained up. Now, by chained up, they meant that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is stingy. And when you think about this, is there anyone that is more generous than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Like if you just think about it, even the most poorest person on the planet, he is so rich and drowning in the generosity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that even if someone gave him a billion dollars, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would still be more generous. Because could anyone else give him life? Could anyone else give him eyesight? Could anyone else give him the ability to love and to feel loved? No one can. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can do that. And that is from the generosity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this deviation in the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you see it started with Bani Israel and it's a very disgusting thing that they affirmed for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds to them. He says, their hands are chained up. Their hands are chained up, meaning that they are the stingy ones. They are the stingy ones. And we're not going to get into stereotypes. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, right? And cursed are they for what they say, meaning that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has cursed them. بَلْ يَدَاهُ مَبْسُوطَتَانِ 
And mabsut comes from basit, meaning the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is extended. Meaning that the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is constantly giving. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is constantly sharing, is constantly, you know, uh, dispensing the, the heavens and the earth upon His creation. And I want to share a hadith with you, again from Sahih Muslim, hadith number 993. Hadith number 993. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, He says, uh, spend and I will bestow upon you. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing us. So this is like a hadith Qudsi. He says, spend and I will spend upon you. Then the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam added to this and he said, the right hand of Allah is full and spending the riches liberally during the day and night and they will not diminish the resources of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't you see what an enormous amount of resources he has spent since he created the heavens and the earth and what is in his right hand has not decreased at all. His throne is upon water, and in the other hand is death, and he elevates and degrades whom he likes. He elevates and he degrades whom he likes. So here the Messenger of Allah وسلم, after he narrates what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that spend and I will spend upon you, then the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he says that since the beginning of creation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been spending upon his creation and has been giving to his creation, Yet it is not decreased his dominion. It is not decreased the resources that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has. Now I want you to think about that subhanAllah. That how do you constantly give, but it doesn't re decrease your resources, right? You know, you spend money in a, in a day at a restaurant, you know, you treat a friend out, you put gas in the car, you buy groceries, you fix something in your house. And at the end of the day, you're like, subhanAllah, what happened to my money? Like my whole paycheck, it just disappeared in one day. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been spending upon each and every one of His creation since the beginning of time and it hasn't even made a dent in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala possesses. And this is the third thing that the slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is inspired with, that when you seek your rizq, seek your sustenance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is constantly giving. And that is why shaitan, he threatens the people with poverty and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, spend and I will continue to give, spend and I will continue to give. So what we learn from this over here are two things. What we learn from this is two things. Number one is what the Prophet ﷺ said, that spending in charity never decreases one's wealth. Spending in charity never decreases one's wealth. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying over here, spend and I will spend on you. So this is a promise from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that when you spend for His sake, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will spend on you. Number two, the second thing that this teaches us is that literally, the world is our oyster, the world is our playground. That all of the risk is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and He gives it as, it as He pleases. So you will find someone who is a king today, he will be a pauper tomorrow. And someone who is impoverished today, he can be like the richest man on the planet tomorrow. That is the way, the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turns. So a lot of people may think, you know what, I'm destined to be, pover to be in poverty forever. But that's not the case. We're forgetting how unlimited the resources of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides for everyone. And when you look at the lives of the companions of the past, they truly understood this subhanAllah. They truly understood this. And I want to share the example of um, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. One of the richer companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So, actually was it Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas? No, it was Abdurrahman ibn Awf. My apologies, it was Abdurrahman ibn Awf. Abdurrahman ibn Awf, he migrates from Mecca to Medina. And when he migrates from Mecca to Medina, he leaves everything behind. Like he was one of the richest people in Mecca. He has left all of it behind. 
He comes to Medina now, and the Prophet wasallam he pairs him up with which companion? Who was Abdurrahman ibn Auf paired up with? Who knows? Sa'd ibn Rabi'ah. Excellent. He was paired up with Sa'd ibn Rabi'ah. Sa'd ibn Rabi'ah, he tells Abdurrahman ibn Auf, Look, I have two houses. Choose any one of the two houses you want, and it is yours. I have two businesses, two orchards. Choose any one of the two businesses and orchards, and it is yours. And at that time, obviously, the, the laws of marriage hadn't been revealed yet. But he tells him, look, I have two wives. Choose any one of my two wives, and she is yours as well. Now, a person has given everything up for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You would think that Abdurrahman ibn Auf, he is like, Alhamdulillah, my duas have been answered. I didn't have to work at all, and Allah is providing me with a house, a wife, and a business. How amazing is that? But we see why Abdurrahman ibn Auf was from the exclusive elite of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because he tells Sa'd ibn Rabi'ah, look, Jazakallahu khair, I appreciate what you're doing for me, but just show me where the marketplace is. Just show me where the marketplace is. And he goes to the marketplace and he starts selling dried yogurt. And you would think, who on earth would want to buy dried yogurt? But what we're forgetting over here is that when you're sincere to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if you're selling something like dried yogurt, Allah will send you a customer. Allah will send you a customer. In the same hadith reported in Sahih Muslim, a little while later, Abdurrahman ibn Auf is walking by the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he says, and the Prophet sees Abdurrahman ibn Auf, and he has a yellow stain on his shirt. So he asks him, Ya Abdurrahman, what is this yellow stain? And he says, Ya Rasulullah, we were you know, celebrating my wedding, and this is like a, you know, a stain that I couldn't get out from our celebration. And this is like, especially in like Desi culture, you know how they throw like haldi on like the, the groom? You can imagine it's something like that, right? That's what they've done to this guy. His clothes are even stained now, miskin, subhanAllah. So here the Prophet wasallam he says, what did you give her as a mahar? What did you give her as a dowry? And he responds by saying, I gave her a, a nugget of gold. I gave her a nugget of gold. And the Prophet ﷺ tells him at that time, Awlim walaw bishah, that have a, a party celebrating this marriage, even if it's just by slaughtering one sheep. Even if it's just by slaughtering one sheep. This hadith has so many lessons in it, subhanAllah. Firstly, let's look at the example of the Prophet ﷺ. Imagine one of your close friends gets married and they don't tell you. How would you react to that? You'd be like, how could you betray me? What type of friend are you? You know, I thought we were tight. Why would you not invite me to your wedding? Brother didn't, you know, he didn't bother at that. Obviously, being human, he might have had some hurt feelings, but he didn't portray it at all. Rather, he refers the situation and he's like, okay, let me teach something to Abdurrahman ibn Auf instead. So he asks him, what did you give as a mahar? To that if he didn't give a mahar, he, that he should have given a mahar. And he says, I gave a gold nugget as a mahar. And this shows us that a man that sacrificed everything in Mecca, was getting everything for free in Medina, starts selling date, he gets rich enough within a matter of days that he's able to give a gold nugget as a dowry to get married, subhanAllah. And this is like a lesson for all the brothers over here, like, you know, I'm broke, I'm broke, I can't get married. Look at Abdurrahman ibn Auf, he was selling dried yogurt, Allah got him married like that, he had money, you know, the very next day. When you're sincere and you put your trust in Allah, Allah will provide for you. And then the Prophet wasallam, after he sees this from Abdurrahman ibn Auf, he says, Awlim walaw bishah, that have a walima, even if it's just with one, you know, sheep. So here it's like, man, you know, I just gave this dowry, I'm just started working, and now you want me to throw a party for everyone? You know, this is what you want me to do, you want me to spend more money? But that command couldn't have pleased Abdurrahman ibn Auf even more. That spending for the sake of Allah, you know, feeding his brothers and sisters, he knew that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would provide for him. And then you look at the history of Abdurrahman ibn Auf, 
in Medina, he goes on to become like the, another don of Medina. Like another, you know, he owns the, the trade routes of Medina. All of the businesses are successful. And you know, mashallah, he becomes the rich companion once again that he spends in the way of Allah. Allah gives him more. Spends in the way of Allah and Allah gives him more. And this is what the, the third, you know, aspect of affirming the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly gives. And that we should never be people that are seeking handouts. We should never be people that are begging. We should never be people that are stingy. But spend in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you. Spend in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you. Now there are just a couple of small points I wanted to add on before we conclude. Um, okay, so the first thing I wanted to add on. The Shaykh, he says, uh, So the Shaykh, uh, this is Shaykh Abdul Razak uh, Al-Abad, Hafidhullah. He mentions over here that one of the things that we contest the uh, Ashaira with and those who negate the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with is by telling them that just because something shares a name, it doesn't mean they share a reality. Just because something shares a name, it doesn't mean that they share a reality. And he gives the example, if you look at two creation, their hands will not be the same. So the example of a human being, uh, the hand of a human being and the hand of an ant. They both have hands, but are they the same hand? Are they both as strong? Do they have fingers and all that stuff? No, they don't. Yet both of them hands have hands. So just because there's a sharing in the name, it doesn't mean that the reality is the same. It doesn't mean that the reality is the same. And if this is between two different creations, then how about the difference between the creator and the creation? That just because we affirm a hand for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it does not mean that his hand is like the creation. It does not mean that his hand is like the creation. And then the last point I wanted to mention is that in, if you look at, uh, for those of you that have the notes, if you look at the verse, the very last word in the verse, it says tanfahu, right? It says bilfawadili tanfahu. This word is actually narrated in two different ways. It's narrated as tanfahu and tanbahu with a dad. Tanbahu. Tanfahu, it means the one that gives, the one that is, is generous. As for tandahu, who are rich was suqa. That it is the spraying, you know, when you spray something, with, like you have water in your hand and you spray it upon your kids or you spray it upon your spouse to wake them up for fajr, this is known as rish. And likewise, a suqa, which is to give water to someone, right? Uh, this, so here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is constantly spraying with his generosity and constantly providing drink for his slave, constantly providing drink for his slave. So that's just a, a change in the wording. Uh, both of them are narrated in this poem. Both of them are narrated in this poem. And the last thing I will conclude with is just uh, you know, to gradually increase our knowledge of Aqidah. When we talk about the sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are of two types. The sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are of two types. The first type is sifat dhatiyah, and the second type is sifat fi'liyah. The second type is sifat fi'liyah. What does sifat dhatiyah and sifat fi'liyah mean? Sifat dhatiyah. Those are the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that have to do with His essence. Those are the attributes that have to do with His essence. Sifat fi'aliyah, those are the attributes that deal with the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Mashiach of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those are the attributes that deal with the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for example, when we talk about 
the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the shin of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are things that will be coming up inshallah. These are all sifat dhatiya because they are always with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They don't deal with the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're always there with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The sifat fi'aliya, then these are the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that deal with the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the attribute of creation, the attribute of rising, the attribute of descending, all of these deal with the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we talk about the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, these are from the sifat thatiyah, these are from the sifat which are from the attributes of the essence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that they're always with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and don't deal just with His will and permission, and don't deal just with His will and His permission. Wallahu ta'ala alam. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes of those that have full tawakkul in Him. We have, may we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes of those that are not arrogant and proud. And we pray, may we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes of those that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly provides for and takes care of in this life and the hereafter. Allahumma ameen wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiya Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. I will take three questions and we can call it a night inshaAllah. Abdullah, go ahead. Fi'aliyah, Sifat Fi'aliyah. Yeah. Anyone else? Going once, going twice. Can I ask a, a side question? For sure, anything you want. Shift this uh, candlelight vigil? Yes. What's the, what's the ruling on this? That is a very good question. And I apologize, I couldn't answer you earlier. I, I had seen your message, but it was just too long. It, there were so many messages that had gone by in between, I couldn't respond. This is a question I asked Sheikh uh, Walid Basuni. Uh, so I'll just share his answer with you. He said, this is not from the actions of Islam. This is not from the actions of Islam. And there's a simple principle that deals with um, actions, where if the Prophet ﷺ was able to do something and he didn't do it, then this is something that you should abstain from. He was able to do something and he didn't do it, then this is something that you should abstain from. Some of the scholars use this as the definition of bid'ah, but this one of itself is not enough to, call, to qualify something as a bid'ah. The Prophet ﷺ easily could have lit candles for his deceased, yet the Prophet ﷺ didn't do that. So the safest thing to do is, uh, is some, it is something to abstain from. It is something to abstain from. Wallahu ta'ala alam. So, in terms of, of flowers and plants, it is narrated that the Prophet ﷺ, he put um, two dried plants upon the graves of the, the people that were being punished in the grave. So one person was being punished in the grave for not looking after themselves after the urinate, and the second person used to cause fights between the people. Then the Prophet ﷺ put two plants on, on both of them, and he said it is hoped that by the time these plants dry out, that they would have been forgiven for their sins, or the punishment would have stopped. So some of the scholars, they took from this, uh, that you know, uh, sorry, not some of the scholars, the scholars took from this, that this was something that was exclusive from the Prophet wasallam. <laughs> that he knew how their punishment would end and when it would end, and there's like a way that the Prophet making, like supplicating for them, that oh Allah, by the time these plants dry, you know, let their punishment end. And obviously in the middle of the desert, how quickly do you think a plant is gonna dry? It's gonna be very quickly, right? So some of the people after they said, you know what, let us establish this as a sunnah by going and putting these plants on the graves of the deceased that hopefully their punishments will end as well. Now that's problematic in two cases. Number one is that in a place like Calgary, like when it's rain season, that plant might actually start growing. You never know, <laughs> their punishment might increase. And number two, obviously this is something exclusive for the Prophet ﷺ. This is not for something that is for the rest of, of the creation. Wallahu alam. Go ahead. Uh, you mentioned the, 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 the word Yameen could mean linguistically in the 
Not could mean, it does mean, this is what it means. Why is it ta'wil? Because ta'wil... Taking the uh, apparent meaning. Fantastic. So give me a definition of ta'wil. Not taking the apparent meaning. Giving a meaning which is not apparent. Giving it uh, a... This is what was crooked meaning. A crooked meaning? Uh, yeah. meaning that is a crooked so definition of ta'wil for sure. Uh, okay. So ta'wil would be mentioned. Ta'wil is to give a definition that has no precedent to it. Or the definition that is not in its proper place. Right? So when they, uh, to go back to the Seifa of Yad over here, they said that Yad over here means Qudra or it means Ni'mah, right? In the Arabic language, if we were to look up the word Yad throughout the linguist, linguistic history, meaning from Imam Shafi earlier, did, was the, did the term Yad ever come with the meaning of Qudra or Ni'mah? And the answer to that is no, it didn't, right? After that, yes, when the linguistics and the Ashaira they you know, merged together, you will see that they, they made up definitions to suit their agenda. But from Imam Shafi, rahimahullah, and previously, that is where the pure Arabic language was found. You don't find this meaning, right? Whereas if you look up the term Yameen in the Arabic language from Imam Shafi and before, you would find that the term Yameen, it has the meanings of proficiency, it has the meaning of something that is complete, it has this meaning of something that is filled with barakah. So we don't call this ta'wil. We don't call this ta'wil. We just say this is a meaning which is a zahir. So a zahir, when you study usul al-fiqh, you have something which is nas. When we say something is nas, it means that there's no second opinion on this matter. There's no second definition on this. When you say something is zahir, you say that zahir means that there's two meanings, but one meaning is more apparent than the other. One meaning is more apparent than the other. Then the third type is mujmad. That's when there's multiple meanings and you don't know or you don't have the ability to distinguish which meaning takes precedence. So over here the term yameen is zahir because over here yameen could mean right hand, but it could also mean the linguistic definition that we are familiar with. Now given the context of the hadith, given the context of all of the other ayat and the hadith, putting it together, then we actually cross out the second meaning. Because of Allah's Messenger وسلم, actually affirmed shimal and another hand for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So therefore it can't be that it means right hand over here and that is why we went back to the linguistic meaning. That is why we went back to the linguistic meaning. So taking linguistic meaning doesn't mean it means ta'wil itself? No. So ta'wil means you're taking a meaning that it has no precedent or it's clearly not in its proper place. One of those two things. That is when you, you say that this is ta'wil. Sometimes, I, I forgot what that means. Right. It has the word yad his yad as well. Okay. And the tafsir says qudra as well. Ibn Abbas Okay. So is it possible sometimes, although the meaning is affirmed to be hand? In this particular place, it could mean, not in the specific ayah, I'm saying, generally, in a specific ayah, it could mean a ta'wil meaning. You understand? I understand what you're saying. And this is not interpretation of the, the word hand, but it is an understanding of the meaning. So that's what we were doing with the, the sifat of uh, sifatul yad. While we affirm the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a reality, the greater implied meaning is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in control of everything, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to hold the people accountable on the Day of Judgment, and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides sustenance. So that is the greater implied meaning, while we still affirm the hand over here. So here in this situation, it is, it is possible that Ibn Abbas, if it's true, I don't know if it is true or not, if he said this, then he's not making a ta'wil of the, of the sifa, but rather he's giving the greater implied meaning of what is the role of the, the sifa in this verse. What is the role of the sifa in this verse? 
Wallahu ta'ala ala. Okay, we'll conclude with that. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa ant. Astaghfiruka wa tubu ilaik.